Ian, um, I want to thank you for your time this morning. I want to thank you for who you are, first and foremost. I want to thank you that you've done this in some of the most challenging of places. Ian is not a theorist who talks to you about writing books and scripts. Ian has lived this out in some of the most challenging environments in the UK. And that's why I'm thrilled to be able to bring him onto the call this morning. Can I um, firstly do pray for you, though? And I invite you all, wherever you are across this country, to be still for a moment. That means you just need to sit still. That means you just need to put the pen down. That means you just need to relax, to be still, to allow the presence of the Holy Spirit and for yourself to be present. So, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we pray that as we are present with you, you would be gracious to be present with us. We thank you for Ian and who he is, for his experience of you and his experience of pioneering and fresh expressions. Father God, would you graciously speak through him to us today to encourage us each in the journey of faith, to show us the way forward, to affirm us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to inspire us. And if nothing else, to realise that to be still is a good place to find ourselves. So we would pray in the precious, the beautiful name that is Jesus. Amen. Mm. And amen. amen. Ian, over to you from central London. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Um, so, yes, a little bit about me before we get into this. So I, I, I started off as a radical atheist as a teenager and came to faith through the combination of the Teze community and also a very early fresh expression in York, where I was studying to be an occupational therapist at the time. Uh, and then became a Christian through a, a, a community that was very earthed in Christian spirituality and very much a forerunner um, trying to reach out to those who are spiritual, not religious. And so that's remained my real focus. So I've now been involved in three, founding three different new monastic communities uh, and got ordained as a pioneer as part of that process. So let me share with you PowerPoint. I'm a bit uh, addicted to PowerPoint, so we'll put this up and use this to kind of drive our thinking. But I just wanted to use this just to share some thoughts and just to say, Andrew's got a copy of this and you'll get a copy of this after. So please don't feel you have to spend all your time writing down notes. Please, please don't. So the title here is thinking about what does it mean to be a monastic leader in a post-pandemic world? And so what I, to answer that really incredibly important question, um, I wanted to, to make appeal to the very ancient process that comes out of the Christian tradition, in all traditions actually, um, through this idea of a pathway of purgation, illumination and union. Um, this is incredibly important for me because I've been doing a bit of a PhD study looking at the practice of mission with those who are spiritual, not religious, and how the ancient resources of the church can really help us to do the mission today. First thing I'd love to say before is that, you know, before the pandemic, things were not great. Uh, we are existing in a context of a market society, which I think is incredibly difficult context to do mission and evangelism um, because it commodifies everything where economics becomes more important than people. 
And we've seen the erosion of much of things that have been quite important to Christians for some time by living in this market society. And so our present politics, you could argue, is a consequence of that before the pandemic. So let's think about this idea in terms of being, so I'm also involved in the new monastic movement. Um, and just to say, what does it mean to be a, a kind of Christian informed by a new monastic way of being church? Um, and I think that's a big commitment to prayer or contemplative prayer and action. The combination of both being critical, that you can't really be an effective um, activist if you are not deeply immersed in the love of God, in the kind of Christian mature depth to do that. And, and just a perception I have is that there are many pioneers who are activists who, who don't have a deep prayer life. And I think that undermines their ability to do mission effectively. And, it, and the problem I see in the church is that we've ended up with this problem with the question that we're all massively overcommitted to work to the point where you could argue that we're sometimes not led by God, but led by our insecurities. And the 12 step movement has much to say about that, which I will share as we move on. Right. So. So just to say, first of all, about this pandemic, we sometimes forget church history, but there have been nine incredibly serious epoch changes and crises in the church. I think we the pandemic was not the start of this current crisis. I think this current crisis began when we moved I've got time to talk about this very much, but we moved from a postmodern society to a post-secular society. And there's something about the post-secular uh, context of our society that now is a threat to the church in a way that it's now difficult to open up Christianity in many contexts. So uh, one thing from church history that we know that it's been forms of the religious life, forms of Christian community, forms of monasticism that have helped the church recontextualized from one social epoch into another. So I'm not surprised there's lots of these little new monastic communities bubbling up all over the place in all our traditions. And I know of a number in the Salvation Army. So I, I think these communities are incredibly significant because they are naming the desire to go deep with the faith in a time of major cultural change. And where the shape of our church communities, our ecclesial communities, will change whether we like it or not. So this deep calling has been one that's taken much of my life. Uh, this call to radical Christian prayer, the depth of Christian prayer. And for my own context, that's being a lot more serious about Benedictine, Franciscan and Ignatian forms of Christian prayer, which for me are incredibly important, that then helps me to try and catch up with what God is doing in the context. And this ancient pathway, which I, and I don't know about you, but I, I've heard these words, but I've never really understood the significance of this. But, and I think it's in, for my context, reaching out to those who are interested in spirituality, um, there is this pathway in Christianity that we forget on this, version, this approach to evangelism and conversion that starts with the inner awakening, the awareness of God, the sense that God is unsettling people to the reality of God. So it starts with this kind of awakening but very quickly, suddenly, the, the brokenness of the world, the difficulties of life, attachments to things that aren't very healthy, can lead people to a time of dark nights of the soul, which uh, I'm calling purgation, which is a painful space to enter into. Um, and then in time, as we pursue God, then that shifts to a space of illumination, 
the sense that we have awareness of God, even though we're feeling this deep pain and darkness and depression that leads to bring God's light comes into that in terms of illumination, that if we follow it fully, and I think the Salvation Army has part of has this mystical tradition as part of it, as as many others do, that then takes us to the sense of deep union with God, that sense of we have a depth of faith and that our relationship with God is so deep that it cannot uh, be shaken. So, and this isn't just a once and for all, it's almost a bit more circular. And I think for the pandemic, uh, we have gone through this purgation, illumination and union. Um, and this pathway, I think, is something deeply the church is resisting. And I, I'm wondering whether actually God is wanting to reshape the church from uh, to be able to be more effective in our post-secular context, for which the pandemic uh, has just made much harder. So let's just focus on that first step of purgation. So I totally acknowledge that this pandemic has been deeply traumatic. I have found it unbearable. I literally started a new pioneering post here in North Southwark, uh, just as the pandemic hit. <laughs> so that was fun, trying to do listening and, and trying to work out what the hell to do with mission here. Uh, and it took a long time to listen to that context, to get going with spiritual seekers because of the pandemic, which was deeply frustrating. But there was something about me having to learn to wait on God. There was something about in this purgation, you can't rush ahead. Too often in our society, we think that pain is an aberration. But actually, my brothers and sisters, pain is part of the journey. And when we are in pain, it's about facing it and digging deeper about what does that mean. And often we avoid that. Um, and I think sometimes our churches can be quite managerial and we avoid it. Suddenly, suddenly if we're in pain or it's dark, somehow we think we're not being effective. But actually, there's something about obedience to God here and that image in that we see in the New Testament about being broken and reformed. And there's something about God constantly refining us to be more to to be so deeply in relationship with God um, that we become more effective. So notice it's the other way around. God wants our commitment and discipleship. I do not think God is so concerned about our effectiveness because that is actually about God doing mission and our obedience to it. So often we get that the wrong way around. We think we have the right skills, we can do it. But we might have amazing skills, but if we are not being obedient to God and following that deeply and waiting on God, um, then I think we are blind. So the purgation, I think, has required us to face up to this pain and trauma, and that has created a lot of suffering. Um, I've not had an easy life, there's been a lot of suffering, but I can see even in those moments of great difficulty, God was present and there were things for me to learn. But God was not absent when I was suffering. And sometimes our theology gets a bit thin when we are suffering. So mission must be about catching up and surrendering to what God is. If there's anything we've learned about purgation in this pandemic, is that we have to let go of being control freaks. And I'll say a bit more about that later. It's got to be about following God. Mission is God's, not ours. And we need to get out of the way. And too many pioneers, too many people with mission have got their aims and objectives and mission targets. And it ends up, I'm afraid to say, a bit idolatrous. This has got to be about following God. 
So God was not absent in the pandemic, but maybe there's something about the pandemic was caused by our post-secular culture, but that's a whole political debate we're not going to get into. But there is something about our post-secularist culture has unfortunately created some of the background to why the pandemic was so difficult. And what I think it shows, you know, soon as the pandemic hit, all our churches closed, not so much in the Salvation Army, but I know in Church of England churches, suddenly they were all closed. The ones that were not were monastic communities. Isn't that interesting? Those who weren't dependent on their income from investments in our market society, but ones with brothers and sisters that committed to serve God in all sorts of contexts. So the doors of a lot of our monasteries and priories remained open. So we've got to be really careful about this idea of church's business. Because I think it's a dangerous model if we allow economics to be our defining factor of what the ecclesial community is called to be. And let me just say it now, there's nothing wrong with feeling overwhelmed. I spend most of my time feeling overwhelmed and it requires me to go back to God. Yeah, that purgation teaches us that if we are overwhelmed and we do not turn to God, then some of that suffering is caused by God because there's something about God meeting us in our overwhelmedness and suffering so that we are following God. So there's something about purgation and the pain sometimes is caused by us. So we have to face it. And the pathway of purgation, illumination and union is all about facing it. And I'm afraid to say, I do not think we're out of it yet. There's still now all the consequences of this and it's going to roll and roll and roll. But I do assure you that if our identity is in the living God, then we will persevere. So this raises the really important question, where do I place my identity? If my identity is being an effective uh, pioneer, if it's in, in about pride, the deadly sins, dare I say, uh, that I think collude with being successful, then we're on a hiding to nothing. The most painful lesson I learned was after I worked with Moot, which was a bit of a sexy new monastic community that lots of people knew all over the world. We ran out of money and we as a staff team had a terrible time and I lost my job. It was the most painful time in my life because I was defining myself by being a success. And I had God take that away from me. And I have to say it was one of the most painful time. But now I am so much healthier for it. Yeah. So there's something about that placing my identity in God and being very careful about mission statements, aims and objectives, what other people say. It has to be in a disciplined, contemplative prayer life um, because we are addicted, I dare I say, addicted to success culture and addicted to busyness. So there's something about surrender. The purgation tells us that we need to surrender our lives, our work and everything to God and actually embrace. It allows us, to, ironically, to be a lot more spontaneous. It allows us to follow Jesus much more sensitively if it's about us surrendering and following God because we make God our higher power. And the danger, my brothers and sisters, often we've made ourselves our higher power. And if we have difficulty letting go, then that says something about control. And control is ultimately about not trusting God. Uh, I recognize that in myself, that when I am fearful and I can become a bit controlling is because I'm basically not trusting God. So there's something about contemplative prayer that helps us and gives us tools to be able to do that. 
is at the heart of Christianity is this deep relationality. We talk about this, but it needs to shift from our heads, dare I say it, to our hearts. That this has got to be about our being, not just about our doing, our being, so that we are deeply in relationship with God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And that we are then joined relationally with our brothers and sisters to live out this deeply relational calling of the church. That beautiful message in Gospel of John about catching, about the, as God is in, you know, Jesus saying, as you are in me and I am in you, let them be in us. This deep thing, uh, this deep connection, which uh, the Greek Christians would call perichoresis, as a way of being deeply a vibrant way, where our faith becomes an event where church becomes an event of grace. So it's as much a happening as a thing. So this is a wake up call to get away from church as institution or as business to a living, breathing organism. So I think the pandemic is teaching us to, that we are called to be part of organisms rather than organizations. And there's a big difference between those two. So we have to get away from being control freaks. And I recognize that in myself, uh, that I identify, I've got to learn to trust God far more with who I am, particularly in all the uncertainty uh, that we face. And it is overwhelming. I've, every morning I think, oh my word, as a new challenge Annika hits the screen in terms of my work life. And every time I've got to keep surrendering that, surrendering that to God to prevent this, this activist me from become controlling. So the contemplative me helps me to be deeply rooted in God. And some of my fear kicks in when I haven't given enough time for prayer. Oh, what would it look like that we saw prayer as more important than activism? What would that look like in terms of our pioneering and mission? So some very quick things about purgation. So we need to, it's good to lament. We see lament and bereavement as of a process. Sometimes people, we avoid that. We, we'll, we'll push our identity into activity and we'll avoid facing the pain. I think British people are particularly bad at this. So it's about facing that pain as an act of faith. Um, and not letting go and pursuing the hopes for justice of God. You know, that comes out of active relationship. I have a quite, that's a place I go to by the Thames when I'm particularly cheesed off with God, where I might go and rant a bit, you know. There's a bit, I have a bit of ranty prayer now and again when I'm feeling a bit difficult. But it's really important there's honesty there, you know, in terms of my frustration, the way things are. Um, and we need to be very careful about this immutability of God, yeah? And what does that mean? It kind of suggests that God is a weak force in the world. You know, we start to believe that God is, is not really effective or present to our world and doesn't really want to communicate with me. And I think when we go there, then, that we, then there's a danger we actually egoically put ourselves in, uh, as more important than God. So, no, I will hold back. Sometimes I don't hear from God for a long period of time and it's painful, but that is part of the contemplative prayer, the via positiva and the via negativa. Positiva is where we actively hear God speaking to us and via negativa sometimes is God feels very absent but isn't absent, but God often is trying to teach me something when God goes quiet. So in all of this, we remember also God is present in suffering. The crucifixion was not a small thing. God knows about suffering. God knows a lot about pain and, and seeks to join us in those situations. So we need to wake up, yeah, that we 
are in a deeply market society which is very commodified and based on consumerism and we have a real problem with discipleship in the church because of the context we're in which erodes discipleship so we have to be aware that we need to dig deep and because of that in our society in a post-secular context there are these three things going on we're seeing a shift towards all forms of fundamentalism and i see that with resurgent nationalism bordering on fascism I see that in churches that are becoming more fundamentalist in some parts of my own context. Or we've got some expressions of church are so overwhelmed by the world that they have completely withdrawn from it, like asylums from the world. Uh, so in my, the Church of England, some places feel around 1953. You wouldn't think there's been about 35 years have happened. So there's a sense of withdrawal. But our calling, I think, is that bit on the right. We have to learn to live in the world as it is. And we, our radical new engagement comes from this call to prayer and action, which I think is at the heart of our response. And we live, and it is messy, you know, it's utterly messy in this is consumerist culture. You know, there used to be this life continuum between atheist and you go on this journey to becoming Christian. But often there is in the pick and mix world, it's all sorts of influences that are going on. Uh, and I think we don't need to be fearful about this, because if, if this world is God's and we trust God, then we will trust God that people will have transformative experiences of Jesus Christ. And I can rest in that. I don't have to force it. I don't have to force people to go on courses. I don't need to manipulate people to do things. It's about standing back and let God be God with all of this in a trusting discourse, in the belief that when we do things in the name of Jesus Christ, they are effective and they can be done quietly lovingly and without control right without control so i'm going to bang on a bit but this is another quote that just to make it really clear the church is a body a community not a business an organism not an organization we are called to maximize ministry and ministry and, and minimize maintenance a dynamic gathering of those who passionately seek to follow jesus Yes, we need to be good stewards of resources, but not further the church as a business and an end in itself. Church is called to be an imperfect representation of the invisible kingdom of God. And I know you Salvation Army know, know this often than many of my brothers, Anglican Christians, but we mustn't forget it. All right, so, so important. Right, something's just gone wrong with my computer. Let me just, that's my turn to have computer problems. Let me just minimize this so I can see the screen. There we are. Right. Move that over here. Oh, there we go. So, illumination. All right. So, this is moving on. So, we're facing our attachments. We're facing those things that hold us back. But we have also some other things to think about. Firstly, we have to be very careful about this scarcity mindset that is, unfortunately, the context of our post secular culture. We need to hold on to this idea of abundance. We'll talk a bit more about that. I want to say a bit more about original wounding as an idea from Elaine A. Heath, who was a Methodist from the United States. I want to talk about this trusting thing, this idea of living with uncertainty. How do we do that? I'm going to say a bit more about contemplative prayer and this calling to be in a mixed ecology of churches where we are called to be leaders, not as sole proprietors, but I would argue more as leaders of teams. So, I love this image because it reminds me that we are a very small planet in an amazing universe. And sometimes we become so myopic to our context that we lose this. 
And it is dangerous because if we suddenly think it's all about me and here and this kind of fearful scarcity mindset, we lose this cosmic view that we are joining in with God and God very much, I think, has things in control. We may not understand what's going on, um, but there's something about we can trust that God does. So there's this difference between scarcity and this call to uh, abundance. Yeah, so if we live with abundance, we can live the idea that God will give everything we need in the day. We don't need to be fearful. We can be trusting and we can start with prayers that remind us of that so that then we can be useful to God because we're obediently following God rather than being crippled by fear. So God's abundance is beyond fear and scarcity. Secondly, I've, I love this idea. This is from the work of Elaine A. Heath, who wrote this amazing book called uh, Mystical, I think it's called Mystical Evangelism. Um, and she talks about the process of mission evangelism is a process of healing. And I find that very helpful. And she, instead, of, instead of original sin and the idea that we're all broken, uh, she talks about, not that that's not important, but we lose sight of this idea of original wounding. That some of the wounds we received um, that our parents received, our parents' parents received, were not our fault, but more about the context of the world that we live in. So something of mission is this process of healing and restoration as God seeks to restore all things back into right relationship with God. So mission evangelism then is a process of restoration, of transformation, of steps towards God as God's loving embrace draws us deeper to the person of Christ. So that is less about sin, more about healing, just to be arguing from this perspective so we need to learn i think to trust this type of god again uh, and to to be led by god and that requires us to have a maybe uh to let go of all sorts of other stuff that we find difficult to let go of and to recognize the beauty that is all around us particularly this springtime and to live with uncertainty uh, i found this the hardest thing you know how do we live where everything is utterly a mess all the time at all levels in the local and the national and the international boy do we feel that in this war in the kind of post brexit time in this time of pandemic there's something about prayerful disciplines that help us dig deep and live with uncertainty as people concerned around mission because then we can be focused without being kind of overwhelmed and i do believe this very strongly i think without contemplative prayer there is no Christian spirituality. And if there is no spirituality and no contemplative prayer, then there's no future. What we don't need is more activists driven by their own self ideas. I think the church has been really stuffed up by pioneers who've lost their rootage in God. Uh, we don't need that. And I think some of the managerialism, some of the talk about language, about management and church doesn't help. Actually, prayer needs to be at the heart of everything we do. Yeah. I can bang on about that, but I'll shut up about that. And in that context, I think it's about what do we do that's much more mixed ecology. Well, this is particularly for the Church of England, but that mixed ecology idea is, you know, you used to have one church, you do one type of thing, and that's it. But actually what I've got going on here now, I'll be honest with you, we've got a, 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 an Anglican Catholic parish with a new monastic community, about 16 people who've come from being de-churched and unchurched. I've got a spirituality discussion group, for people who are exploring faith who are nowhere near it. I've got this whole rough sleepers initiative with people who are homeless. You've got incredibly difficult questions and are angry with God and angry with their lives. 
Um, so all sorts of things going on, which can only be sustained. That's why I've got a new monastic community here, because it gives us a team approach to be able to hold that together in this crazy pandemic, uh, post-pandemic world. Now, you guys know this more than most traditions that, you know, we do need uh, the church to be and Christians to be and pioneering a mission to be uh, lay led, not just by ordained people telling everybody else what to do. It's got to be much more about teams. And I love this bit, this picture from you probably recognize where it comes from, but this idea about participating in the Missio Day. So finally, about union, and then I'll stop. One really important quote from Albert Einstein that I really like, we can't just go back and pretend things were like what they were before the pandemic. In fact, we can't pretend that everything is all right as it was before the Brexit vote and, the, and how that has deeply divided our nation and or every local context and families. We cannot go back and do the same activities and think that they will work. Now we have to profoundly again, catch up with what God is doing. And I think there's a definition of insanity is going back to doing the same thing over and over again when they were not working before COVID, expecting different results. All right. So we can't just do the same thing and think, think, think that somehow that will work. We have to radically re-engage with where God is. And this is a quote, not a Christian quote, but I found this really helpful thinking about living in a period of ongoing ambiguity. Right. The danger is about living if, we, if we're all about order and a rhythm and everything being quite set, then we're gonna find this deeply traumatic. So there's something about, we need to draw back our identity to in God, to be able to cope with living in a time of ongoing ambiguity. And he said this, this is a period of life best described as a time of ongoing amb ambiguity. Nothing is clear or certain, except that the old ways don't work anymore. It now becomes a place to go simply beyond there being alternatives. The great danger, uh, is to attempt to foreclose on this ambiguity, i.e. trying to shut it down, rather than allow this lack of clarity to resolve itself naturally through dependence on prayer and being led by God. The minister attempts to create artificial clarity and too quickly defines an endpoint to the time. This, I can't even read my own screen here, sorry, one minute. I'm struggling with it here, one minute. Uh, this is an attempt to take control back and it's in fact the expression of panic and not trusting God. So we have to be so careful that we don't uh, try to create false security, false hope and try to shut things down because actually maybe God, this is something to think about, is God in this ongoing ambiguity? Is this part of God helping the church to move one social epoch into another? And that's one question I'm holding on to. So here are some questions for you thinking about group work. So how do we sustain an attitude of abundance instead of scarcity in a church that's fearful and exhausted? What will it take for the church and Christians to trust God? Because I think there's a lot of that about at the moment. What will it take for people to commit to prayer as encounter with God? What will it take for the church to be directed and led by God? And how do we develop a mature and deep church that has a spirituality and a future?